With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What is up? What is good? How you living? How you feeling? I am inside. I am not in a parking lot. And I'm in New York. And I got back and it started raining. But what we watched yesterday was a bunch of surprises in the NFL. And I have two really good friends to talk about it with. One of them, one of the best athletes I've ever seen. The other... Brian Westbrook, David Ingber, and Brian Westbrook. <laughs> if you haven't seen David Ingber kick a paper football or predict Chase Claypool to possibly be a rookie of the year contender at 33 to 1, then you haven't lived, David. Take a bow. Thank you. This is my victory lap. Um, we'll, we'll start out with a, with a tweet from your guy, Stephen Ruiz, at the Stephen Ruiz. He said, Chase Claypool is the early favorite for rookie of the year. Josh Allen is the MVP candidate. Big year for players who were told to convert to tight end before the draft. I thought that was a very funny tweet. But yeah, on this very podcast, go listen to it on October 1st. You asked me which rookie of the year favorite odds did I like. I said Chase Claypool at 33 to 1 was absolutely worth a sprinkle. It's uh, Joe Burrow's award to lose. But come on, at 33 to 1, there was a chance that he was going to get the hook up to Big Ben. Sure enough, we saw it yesterday. Uh, just just all over the field, catching everything, running around uh, out of the backfield. I feel really good about that call. Uh, I, we're going to get into the Eagles game. We're going to talk about the Chiefs' surprising loss to the Raiders. How the hell did Miami pull that off against San Francisco? Russell Wilson continues to do Russell Wilson things. Uh, and then the disappointing awesome loss money. of Dak. Uh, Westbrook, let's... I'll tell you what, because we're Eagles guys, let's start off there. And because Ingber just talked about Chase Claypool, I'll say that while there were so many aspects of the Eagles team that I really don't like, I think Carson Wentz played one of his better games yesterday. And I think that I need to get a Travis Fulgham jersey because he might be one of the greatest receivers I've ever seen play. Where are you with this Eagles team? And now that we know that the Cowboys down Dak, the, the division was always up for grabs, but now it's really up for grabs. Well, for starters, we have to put a little bit of respect on Travis Fogel. He was a guy last where I thought he was a flash in the pan, wouldn't be able to get it done. Um, this week he showed up again. This week he continues to get open. He continues to catch the football. Um, Carson Wentz obviously has some type of connection with him. Um, that was good to see. I, I still think he has some work to do, but listen, to put up the type of numbers that he's jumping over people uh, for man. this football team. I mean, just look good. He yes. looked like a professional receiver in, in the NFL, especially for a guy. And the reason I say that is, is he's a guy that got cut by so many different teams just this season. And he just went out and put up numbers. Uh, it was good to see. It was good to see Carson look different. He looked like him old, his old self just a bit yesterday. Still some work to do. But, uh, you know, putting up 29 points against yes. that defense, that was a good start in the right direction for the Especially Eagles. they lose Lane Johnson in the middle of the game, and yet they're still able to be productive. Yep. We saw the Miles Sanders speed. I would say from a national NFL perspective, because I've been so high on the Steelers, one, I can't believe that this is only the first time in 40 years that they've started a year 4-0. and I think about all the great Steelers teams these last two decades. 
But the other thing that jumped out to me is this is now like the third or fourth game where I've seen how teams attack the Eagles. It is all crossers. It is all underneath routes. And it's putting pressure on this linebacking core that I'm sure we talked about at the end of the last year. They had to get somebody and they got nobody. Um, and it's just, it was just constant. I would also say that Big Ben is seemingly taking smarter options than I think he's ever had. And I, maybe it's because he got a little bit cocky with the Martavis Bryants and the Antonio Browns of the world, but I feel like he's taking whatever's there. And and that breakdown of, of Juju and, and uh, Claypool and the running backs, the Steelers are a legitimate, legitimate contender. And while they're not blowing teams out, they're learning how to win in one possession games in the fourth quarter seemingly every week. What I watched from Ben yesterday, to your point, he took exactly what the defense was giving him, didn't for any one receiver. And, and really you talk about, when you talk about that last play that he had to uh, Claypool, you got to think about Ben's intelligence. I mean, that's not necessarily the first thing that you think about with him, but yesterday he just showed it again. He understood what defense the Eagles were in. He got into the perfect play, stepped up in the pocket and delivered the ball. I mean, it, it doesn't, it doesn't get much better than that if you're a quarterback. 13 for 13 on his first down, on his third down attempts as far as throwing the ball down the field. He was getting the ball out of quickly. He knew the Eagles' only chance defensively was to get a rush to him and be, to be able to neutralize that rush by getting the ball out quickly. Getting the ball into your receiver's hands was masterful. Big Ben, again, uh, he, he's surprising a lot of people. This time last year, he was – I think he had just gotten hurt, right? And so he was getting bigger as far as physically. And then you see him in the offseason, and he looks like he's huge. And then for him to slim down, get into shape, and get ready to play without a preseason to kind of get him going, the way that that team has played this season, especially after the defense didn't play great yesterday, you got to give a lot of credit to Mike Tomlin as well as Big Westbrook, ben. Eagles face the Ravens next week. Uh, there is no rest for this team uh, as they sit now at one, three, and one. After that, it goes Giants, then Cowboys. So it, it that's the annoying thing right now about watching the NFC East is there's like that little prize at the end of winning the division and then realizing that you're just going to get stomped at home in the playoffs by somebody else. Yeah. You know, there was a time when I played when the NFC West was just terrible. They were soft. They, they probably had one winning team. And now that's kind of transferred over to the NFC East. And I don't even know that we have one squad in the NFC East that can that can even come close to winning a playoff game the way that they've played. Um, it's disappointing. Well, to what you're and saying, to what time, you're saying, by the way, it's the number one reason why I might be the only guy that's not loving the Rams. Because they're four and one and all four wins are against the NFC East. And so excuse yes. me if I'm going to say, let me wait until they play someone that's not one of those teams. Now, granted, they, they had the bills, but this division stinks to what you were saying. Yeah, they, they, this division just has been bad. Bad quarterback play can repeatedly, turnovers repeatedly, and, and terrible defense, which is weird because you would think that defense on the East, the East Coast would be okay. Um, it's just been bad defense around the clock, and so the NFC East. Other sucks. side of it, though, the division that I did predict three teams going to the playoffs. Steelers play the Browns next week. Browns are four and one. Yeah. Steelers are four and zero. Oh. And I, Amber, if I remember right, I know that there are some some people tweeting about the Browns being four and one and just their start. The one thing I will say about the Browns, it was a big matchup against the Colts. Everybody got hurt on the Browns, and that's that's the thing that I I think people aren't. 
it's so hard to keep up with injuries, especially when we don't even know when the games are going to be played. Like that was a Colts team that didn't have Darius Leonard yesterday, but the Browns get done the game. They lose Sheldon Richardson, Baker Mayfield's getting hurt. But Amber, were there, what were people saying about the Browns now moving to four and one? Well, people were talking about the Browns just succeeding and looking great. And uh, the two that I saw that were really fascinating was one, Kevin Stefanski now is four and one. He has more wins than Hugh Jackson, who went three thirty six and one in two and a half seasons. That's from Tony Grossi. Wow. <laughs> and from ESPN wow. Stats and Info, the indispensable source, the Browns have scored 30 plus points in four straight games for the first time since 1968. They are four and one. That's their best start through five games since they started four and one under Bill Belichick in 1994. Mm. You know, when I watched the Browns yesterday, first four possessions, two field goals, two touchdowns you get. Baker looked good the first half. Obviously, the second half, they have some work to do. But it's more about Baker. And we talk about Big Ben taking what's given to him. When you have so many athletes like Landry, Odell Beckham Jr., Kareem Hunt, those types of guys on your team, just take what the defense gives you and let those guys who are so good at yards after the catch, let them do the work. And I saw yesterday Baker taking the easy passes. He didn't take as many chances. I also saw, and I always kind of felt this way, but Baker has a strong Hell arm. Hell yeah. He made some throws yesterday where he just zipped it in there. And you're like, oh, okay. Usually those, that strong arm, I felt, was putting him in more mm. trouble um, in the past, making him throw the ball to the other team. Yesterday he just showed accuracy and a strong arm. I was impressed by Baker on the way that he played, especially in that first half. I would put Baker's first half up against almost any any half performance by quarterbacks that I saw yesterday. It was mm-hmm. it was a perfect picking apart of that Indianapolis zone. The question, though, came in the second half. When Indy mixed it up and they didn't fall for those bootlegs anymore and they always kept the D lineman to kind of flatten out and stay with them. But also... I saw Odell have multiple drops in the second half. I saw Jarvis Landry have multiple drops in the second half. And I'm talking about like pivotal third and mediums, third and shorts to extend Mm -hmm. drives. This is yet another game in which a team was not able to run like they normally do against the Indianapolis Colts. And again, this was without Darius Leonard, which shows you the defense. I thought the the deciding factor in the game was um, Phillip Rivers' interceptions went for touchdowns and Baker Mayfield's didn't. Baker Mayfield's interceptions got brought down the middle of the field and Phillip couldn't do anything. And I think it's interesting that we just talked about Big Ben. There are a few older quarterbacks that look great, and there are a few that I fucked up on. Ben looks great. Yeah. Brady looks great. Rivers does not. like, And I, and I, I guess I put too much on the Chargers O-line these last few years thinking that he was going to be better. But there really isn't a game breaker out there, too. Because what Philip Rivers needs is not a T.Y. Hilton because he can't reach a T.Y. Hilton. Philip Rivers needs a Mike Williams, a guy that 6'5, six, six, five. Five, I can lob it up. That's what he's or, used to. Or an Austin Eckler where I can drop it down and you can make men miss. Naheem Hines is Austin Eckler, light, light. Jonathan Taylor is not Melvin Gordon. They don't have the wide receiver to make people miss. It's just a lot of tight end passes for seven yards, and eventually he does something dumb. I still believe in the Colts, um, but I was, I was very impressed with how Stefanski dialed up the passing game in the first half with the running game not being able to go. You know, the one thing that I love about Stefanski and what he's done to this team is that the Browns needed discipline. 
they needed someone to hold them accountable. And it just appears that they figured that out. And eventually, I, I kind of thought that talent would win out at some point. We, we knew that they had a talented roster, but they needed that discipline. Stefanski seems to have added that. And when you talk about Phillip Rivers, you're right. He needs that six five receiver. He needs that guy that can go get that jump ball because that's what he's used to. It seems like he's struggling in the pocket to get the ball downfield. And maybe that's his motion. Maybe that's just the way he throws. But it just that shot put motion just looks weak um, in so many opportunities in the game. And, and I'm wondering about his decision making. I, I'm wondering, is he seeing the same things that I'm seeing as I watch the tape? Because some mm. of those decisions for a veteran quarterback are just bad. Those are just bad choices. He has to be better if that team wants to win. They have a good defense. He just has to not give the ball up. And I think he can do that. It just He hasn't proven that to me yet this My season. guy Westbrook is from the DMV, the D.C. area. Yeah. I just want to mm-hmm. give people perspective. In week one, in that area, there were two games played. Washington went out and beat the Philadelphia Eagles and people said that their defense was the future and their quarterback was underrated. In the same week, Cleveland went to Baltimore and lost 38 to six. And people said that Cleveland was a mess. Washington hasn't won a game since and Cleveland hasn't lost a game since. And I just wanted to say for a reminder for next year, week one is crazy. It's nonsense. And now we know who these teams are a little bit more, but I'm excited for Browns fans. I wish they could have been there to celebrate their team going to four and one and dropping 30 plus for the fourth straight game. Cause you know, that city's going nuts right now. Uh, Ingber. I think the other thing that was nuts would be the chiefs Raiders game yesterday on Sunday. Uh, what, what are people saying about chiefs Raiders? Because I don't know. I still felt like the Chiefs were going to come back. They just needed more time. But uh, I think, uh, first of all, we had a little text exchange yesterday because Max Crosby on this podcast guaranteed that he was going to sack Mahomes this season. And we were like, oh, that's great. And then he went out and did it in a win over the yeah. Chiefs. So you got to love that. Um, but I, I think my favorite John Gruden is when Gruden's being sassy to the media or to the stats guys mm. because he just has such disdain for the analytics movement. So uh, from at Jimmy Durkin, here's this quote from Gruden. We threw the ball down the field. Some of the pro football focused statisticians will have to scratch their head. I just really enjoy a, a, a sassy Gruden coming out there after a big win. Man, beat the Chiefs to go into a bye. Like, there's got to be nothing you know, sweeter than that. The Raiders have made some big plays. I mean, these chunk plays, I mean, it, as you watch these games around the league, the chunk plays, if, if you get two or three chunk plays in the game, I don't care who you're playing or what team you are, you're going to win. The Raiders had a couple chunk plays yesterday, the Rugs and Nelson Talk Aguilar. Talk about Nelson Aguilar. Hello. Um, there you go, 59 yards to him. Um, it, it was just impressive to see those chunk plays, and those are plays that the Chiefs – even though their defense hasn't been great in the past, they're not usually giving up those chunk type of chunk plays. You've been able to drive down the field methodically against that defense. Yesterday, they gave up them chunk plays. And then, as I'm watching the game, I, I know Andy Reid to be a discipline-oriented coach, a guy that's going to get the best out of his players. And when, when the count's on two, everybody's going to sit in there until mm. two. And when the ball moves, that's when you move. Ten penalties, 94 yards. I mean, that's a lot of and penalties. huge for penalties. First first drive of the game, 50-yard bomb to Tyreek Hill called back on a holding. Yeah. I think there were two Tyreek Hill bombs that were completed that were called back for penalties. That's killer. And usually Mahomes can outlast it. But after a while, um, I thought the thing, too, was, one, 
The Raiders got back Trent Brown yesterday, our guy. And that O-line gave Derek Carr time to look downfield. You know who else was back for the Raiders? Henry Ruggs. And now when you get to see that John Gruden offense, and I, I go back to what Sims used to say about when Gruden had Joey Galloway, that was the offense. It's the threat of Ruggs. It's Waller in the middle, and then it's either the the Jalen Richards or the Josh Jacobs underneath. And now we're seeing – I'm just happy to see Derek Carr pull the trigger because I think what Derek Carr doesn't realize because he's always defending himself is that people don't think he stinks. People think that he's scared. And what I saw against yeah. the Chiefs yesterday was somebody that wasn't afraid because we got a taste of Derek Carr in that one year where they were the leaders for the one seed, then he got hurt. He was slinging it. Michael Crabtree, Amari Cooper, he was putting tight windows. I haven't seen it even from him all year until this Chiefs game. And I wonder, you know, did Mahomes bring that out of him? But I'm just saying, Derek, enjoy the bye week. You're three and two. You just slayed a team that you have not beaten since Mahomes started. Watch that film and keep it going. Because one other guy I want to shout out before I give it back to you was they the, the Raiders tried to redo their defense this season. I think their defense still has a long way to go. I know they're scoring a lot of points. They're still letting up a lot too. But Nick Kwiatkowski, they got this middle linebacker from the Bears. And I just think that he's opened up some pass coverage at the linebacker position that they were missing, which is important for the Kelsey's of the world, but props to the Raiders prop to the Raider nation. Uh, Derek Carr, keep it up, man. I got a, I got a question for you guys. And this is, this is nitpicking a great in our game. And, and I know everybody loves Patrick Holmes. Holmes. I love him too. Ooh. Do you, do you guys feel like he, he, he scrambles too much? Like, not I me, mean, I feel like he's he's always moving out. That right tackle needs to do a better job of expanding the pocket and, and make sure that, that he gets it done. But I, I feel like there are times where he can sit in the pocket and just throw the ball. And I feel like he moves around. And I mean, and some of these plays are when he has the biggest play. So I, I kind of preference it right. with that. But at the same time, I feel like there are times where he could just sit in the pocket and throw the ball. And that's when, in my opinion, he's the most accurate when he's the most deadly is when he moves, but there are opportunities for him to sit in the pocket and throw. And I, I feel like he's always moving he's up and to the right every time. Up well, and to, the to right. that point, and that cuts off a, a big point. Of I the think field. what happened was remember uh, the doctor Lou Duvernay Tardif uh, opted out before the season and they lost Colecchio Semele during the game. I think that, I think the this game, is the yeah. worst offensive line that Patrick Mahomes has had. I know he's only played like two and a half years or two years in one game, but I, I think that he doesn't have as much time in the pocket right now. And I also think that when you look at the Chiefs in that defense, I also think he's kind of putting a little bit more on his back, you know, where that, that defense yesterday, Mahomes had to be on the sideline going, I have no confidence I'm getting this ball back. Um, and I, he had a few. The defense gave up 24 points in the first so, half. I mean, so that's on. why I think he's holding it a little bit longer. Raiders is he knows that, I mean, look, they were up double digits on the Raiders and then blew it at the end of the first half. But I think he knew that if they have a lead and it's the Josh Jacobs Express and Gruden, you might not get that ball back. So I think that's why he was doing it a little bit. But to even lose that game by eight, when they were down, like, I'm pretty sure they were down 16 and he threw a pick. And yet he still almost was in a position like him and Russell Wilson. There are no leads safe with those guys. 
No, no. This is how bad the, the Chiefs were. We know how explosive that offense was. In the second half, they didn't convert a third down wow. at all in the second half. The other part to that is they, they didn't have over 100 yards total offense in the second half until almost about four minutes left in the game. That's how bad the most explosive offense in the league was yesterday in the second half. If they want to win. They can't be. They can't do that, especially with their mm. defense playing. I'll just I'll just say it again that like it's this happens to Mahomes a lot where he has these touchdowns that are called back on penalties, and because yeah. it's Mahomes, we go oh he'll throw another one, but you know how rare those big plays are. You just said the teams with the big plays and the chunks win. Well, like. They had three big plays that were called back by penalty. So to me, it's a it's not a panic game for the Chiefs because I still think they're the cream of the crop of the AFC, then the Ravens. I would even put the Steelers in there. I think this is a, whoa, are we now seeing what officially John Gruden's Raiders look like? And that's I get this was a more excited about the winner than doubting the loser game for me. Chiefs have a lot of things to clean up. They want to win the games that mm. they want to win. And they play Buffalo. It was supposed to be a Thursday game, but because of Buffalo's game going back with the Titans, they'll now play Buffalo at the rare 5 o'clock Monday game, which makes me want to ask you guys, what's the weirdest date and time that you think we'll see an NFL game this season? Like, I would say if we saw a Wednesday nooner, I would be like, the NFL has lost their mind because we're at Monday at 5. Where else are we going to see? Monday at 5 sounds that's, crazy. Think about it, that's Monday Tuesday, at 2 p.m. T- in California. Yeah, yeah. Tuesday games kind of feel crazy to me because I, I guess these teams are going to have to turn around and play Sunday, which kind of, you, you know, throughout this COVID thing, I know the big emphasis on making sure that guys are safe, their families are safe, not, you know, passing around the – the disease. The, the other part to that is, what about the player safety? What about them playing games in too tight of a window? What about those types of things? Is that still important? Is that still on the table? Or is that taking a back burner just a bit? Because playing on Tuesday and then playing on Sunday just well, doesn't just to seem clear ideal. that up. So the Tuesday game, Buffalo, New England, that's the reason. Are they on their bye no, next That's week? the reason that Buffalo's following week was moved to a Monday instead of a Sunday. So they gave them an extra okay, day. So they back. have Tuesday, Monday. Okay. All but, right. still, well, but still, but just... still, I, I think I think the fact that these games are being played, the fact that they're like waiting until seemingly the day of to travel. Uh, I'm also thinking about the families and all that. Um, but this was it was a good joke and you took it a little serious. Ingber, what's the most random time that we could see a game this year? <laughs> well, I really miss the the London games when they sneak up on you and all of a sudden you wake up at eight AM on the East Coast and you're like, Oh my god, a game's already yeah, over. Time. Yeah. I really enjoy right, those. Right. Um, so yeah, so you know what? Let's just let's just get a strange one. Let's get like a TGIF Friday Night Lights uh high school mm. game and just go up against like the biggest Texas high school games. Listen. Are they playing high school games in Texas right now? I have no Are they idea, even allowed I, to? Did you see that thing? In- Are they virtual? Are they Zoom? They did a really cool thing during the Seattle broadcast last <laughs> night. They showed all the high school jerseys that aren't able to play because of COVID. They put every high school jersey in Washington State in the stands in the Seattle Stadium, mm. which I thought was just like a really cool gesture. Just like we're with you, high schoolers. We know this is really rough, especially for you seniors wanted to play this year. It was just a, it was a neat little shout out by them by the Seahawks, and I appreciated it. The fact that we have football on Tuesday is crazy. If we get a football game on a Wednesday, we've because now that now that LeBron is the champion, 
This is what's so weird about this. And I know I've brought this up to you guys before. Normally, this is the time of the year, October, when the NBA starts. And so everybody's attention gets fractured where they go to the NBA and then people, NFL fans are like, I don't pay attention until Christmas. Well, now the NBA is officially over. All that we have is the NFL and college football. Baseball's wrapping up soon. Uh, Hockey's over. Um, So now I feel like the NFL could get a little bit crazy and go, we'll play games on Wednesday, Saturday, Friday. I don't think it matters anymore. They're just trying to get it done. I was mad last night trying to flip back and forth between the championship game in the Seahawks uh, game last night. I mean, I was upset. I mean, cause it's, it's just, it ended up kind of working out the game was out of, out of reach as far as the basketball game, but in that Seahawks game. Yeah, but you game, still want to watch all the speeches. You want to see J.R. Smith's shirt of course, off. You want to see all of that. Yeah. And that's what sucked is I was like, this Viking-Seahawks game is going to be boring right up until when the awards start coming out. And that's when Russell Wilson started to cook. I think we should go there. Um, Russ, come on, man. Did you have any doubts on, when the Vikings were up 13 nothing that the Seahawks were going to come back? Well, again, this is a part of the game where I'm flipping back and forth to the basketball game. So I'm saying they're up 13 nothing. It's going to going just a little bit. And then I flipped back, and I think it was a 21 to 13. It was crazy. They scored three touchdowns and within a, a minute or two. So it was it was absolutely nuts. Russell Wilson is just that mm. dude. Um, turnovers obviously it helped them just a bit there, but the amount of time that it took for them to have those three scores, I mean, it, it was it was amazing to watch. I I look at the Vikings and I go, that was your perfect game script. You start off early, you get the lead, you control the game with the run. Mike Zimmer like really shut down Russ the entire first half. Uh, the Seahawks' offensive yeah. line was looking bad. Vikings, as Chris Collinsworth pointed out multiple times, just sat back in double safety looks and just said, beat us underneath. And then Kirk Cousins threw a really ugly pick to K.J. Wright. Uh, then you had a fumble. and But the Vikings still came back, and they still scored that touchdown to take the lead. And then they got the ball back, and they're sitting there inside the 20. Field goal puts them up eight. Fourth and one, you get the first down, you in essence win the game. It's very easy to sit here after the fact and say they should have gone up eight. (laughs) But they went for the win. And so Ingber has a phrase that he likes to say, which is write the story when the ball's in the air, which means don't wait to see if they got the first down to say whether or not it was the right call. By the way, that's but I'm curious. Point. That's a Stan Van Gundy. Just wanted to, yeah. I, I David Ingber came up that and then Stan Van Gundy stole it. <laughs> you heard it here first. But Westbrook, what, you know, like, it's tough because you don't want to give the ball to Russ again. But if I am going to give the ball to Russ, I would rather give it to him when I'm up eight. I think it's BS that people start the statement by saying they went for the win. They didn't go for the win. They tried to end the game with the ball. That makes sense. But you still could have won the game if you go up eight and they have to go down and let's say they don't get the two-point conversion. And in my mind, this is a no-brainer. And I know you're one in three at the time. And I know that probably played a part into it. And it's inches, not feet, not yards. But you go up eight 
and then you say defense try to hold them for 85 yards, 75 yards, and try to hold them. And then if they can score again, which they obviously could, then you have to convert a two. And if you get that two-point conversion after driving 75 yards and getting a touchdown, then we go to overtime. That's the only choice. You, what you don't do, in my opinion, is put your team in a situation where I think they were up five and now the other team has the ball. That, to me, that, that makes sense. That's playing to lose, actually, mm. not playing to win. I think that was a terrible decision. The one thing I'll say is that whole drive, Alexander Madison was able to punch through for the first downs. Um, He looked good. And and the the player of the game for me for Seattle, other than K.J. Wright, was Jerron Reed, uh, the defensive tackle that was just blowing up everything. But it's, it's tough because this is a Vikings franchise that never trusts their kicker, just like their history, I feel like. Um, but I, I think that going up eight is playing to win, you know, like it's, you, you've had success stopping them. Seattle up to that point has had only scored on either turnovers or like one stop plays. Um, but I, I, I think the, the other thing that I do is I want to give credit to DK Metcalf and I love when announcers share the real nuggets from their meetings with players a lot of them don't say it out loud because they don't want to alienate stuff. But I also think it was crazy to wait until one minute left in the fourth quarter to share with us that Russell Wilson said that DK Metcalf could be one of the greatest wide receivers of all time and that he thinks that they could be like Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. I was like, how do you save that nugget until the end of the game? Um, But what DK Metcalf did at the end of the game, it's what we talked about last week. He's already a top five wide receiver in the NFL. No one, and it's not just go routes. It's, it's every, nobody can get in front of him, Westbrook. And he took over that game at the end there. He does some special things. I mean, and these are the little things that as I watch the game, I see. He runs every route hard as if he's going to get the ball. And you would think that happens all the time. It just doesn't as far as a receiver. He runs every route like he's going to get the ball, which kind of throws off a defense, makes a defense play honest, the secondary play honest every single play. The other part that he does is that he, 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 he run blocks, which, again, this is just small things that make him great. But he is out there blocking on run plays. That's why they have so much success in the run game. But you're right. He can run all the routes in the route tree inside routes, outside routes. And if if you're a defender, if you're a D-back, you're saying, okay, the tendency is, you know, he's going to be in this stance, he's going to run outside, he's going to run a fade. But then he runs a slant. I mean, that's how he continues to get wide open, good hands, strong catcher. I I love what he's been able to do. And, of course, Rush Rush just trusts Mm -hmm. him. He just throws the ball up and says, 6'4", go -hmm. get it. And, and, and I love that about him. I, I want to mention one thing about this run play as far as the last play for the Vikings, uh, that fourth down play. It, was that Madison at the running back position? Yes. Was that him? Or Madison. Was that Cook was out. Madison. If he would just open his eyes. To the right. There's a huge ah, crease outside of the, the, the fullback's block. So if he would take a little step back, a little bit let slower. Me ask, let me ask you this, though. When you know as a running back that it's fourth and one and all they tell you is to get north – does that change the, the, the kind of way that you would run? Well, they, they t- no, no, it, it does. It changes your mentality, but you still have the ability to take one step. And Madison's a good back. Yeah. So I, I, he has this ability to take one step, jump cut, and then get north. I mean, there's nobody there. There's literally nobody there. And unless 
unless you're, there are a hole. There wasn't a hole right there where he ended up making, uh, try to make the play. If he takes one step to his right, he almost walks into the mm-hmm. end zone. It, he has to open his eyes. I saw his head duck as soon as he tried to get to contact. That was a bad play, but you know, still the wrong decision in my mind. If you're, I need to call. I need to come up with like a left go scale where one thing that I love looking at is how calm a head coach is with like one minute left in a game. And there was one time during that game where the ref came over and Pete Carroll was like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. And I was like, there's 40 seconds left and you're so calm. (laughs) And then I look over at Zimmer and Zimmer's eyes are bulging out and he's looking at his play sheet and he's thinking about it. And and you could tell that he had not thought of this situation before. And it sucks because it's another loss in primetime for Kirk Cousins, which is like a streak that just continues right now. But that, to me, did not feel like a Kirk Cousins loss. I thought he did what needed to do other than that one pick. But Seattle now has a bye next week. They're 5-0. and Green Bay had a bye this week. They're 4-0. and The other teams that are up there in terms of uh, standings, the Rams are 4-1. and The Bears are 4-1 and in the NFC. And then after that, like Tampa Bay's 3-2. and So right now it really is Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. And I'm just thinking how sweet of an NFC championship game that would be if the way those two guys are playing right now, if it is Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers and the history from the fail Mary to all those. I mean, even last year, Aaron Rodgers was out there diamond to Jimmy Graham at Lambeau Field. But to me, that's the perfect NFC championship matchup right now. Seattle Green Bay. Just think of those two offenses, two of the best quarterbacks. If you get Devontae Adams mm. back, two of the best receivers with him and, as well as D.K. Metcalf, and two offenses that run the ball and have great play-action pass, but they also dump the ball off to their running backs. You talk about Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, and, of course, Dalvin Cook. I, I, want, I want to know exactly what yeah. went on with them yesterday um, to try to figure that out. But two offenses that have the ability to run and pass out of the backfield, I mean, they're almost – they're not identical because Seattle runs the ball so much, but they're really, really good at those key positions. Um, that would be an interesting Man, I'd game. love to see it. Uh, one of the teams that I thought could be in the running for the NFC Championship game, uh, they win yesterday, but it felt like a loss. Two and three, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, the reaction yeah. to Dak Prescott's injury seemed omnipresent. From I felt like LeBron was playing in the game and tweeting about it. I saw Mahomes. Uh, Ingber, did you get a chance to look at just what people were saying about the Dak injury and the reaction yesterday? Yeah, I mean, it just seemed like every single person – uh, that was watching Mahomes sent a thing out. Uh, Wentz said this is the worst part of the game. Uh, it, it just it was that thing where everyone everyone in the sports world was in agreement that we just feel horrible for Dak. He's on a one year contract essentially with the franchise tag uh, after spending an entire offseason not getting signed to the long term deal that a lot of people felt like he deserved. You know, the the one weird thing that I saw was Tony Dungy said it was a blessing in disguise, which I thought was just like a really, right. really awful take from a football perspective and from a human perspective, uh, where it just seemed like I'm a media guy. I'm going to zig when everyone else is zagging. But here's my here's my if I was going to explain if I could put myself in Tony Dungy's brain, that sounded like a coach that walked into the Dallas Cowboys locker room that was like trying to give them a rallying cry. Yeah. But it's like you're not in the locker room. You're on NBC, and like, not like, because if you've ever watched the NBC pregame show, they're given like 12 seconds to speak. 
Like that's it. Like I've like I, I watched Sims and he's like, yep, he had a lot of pressure. We'll see what they do next week. And I'm like, that's all you get to say. But with Tony Dungy, I felt like he went into that coach mindset. And really it's like, this is the mourning period. This is not the let's find hope in Andy Dalton type of shit. But I don't know. You know, when I watched that play, and this is probably not the, the first thought that um, I probably should have. I, I just think about Dak taking his own destiny, his own financial future in his own hands. And it, it's worked for him last year. Got the franchise tag in, in a way without injury. This is his first mate. This is his first time missing a mm. game um, in his career. Um, and I just feel for the young man. I, I remember when I was in a situation where I could either take a little bit less money um, earlier or I could wait a little bit longer and probably get a little bit more money. And I was like, I got to take the money, you know, just not worth it. And I don't, I don't doubt anything that Dak did. I think that he did the right thing for him, and that's a personal decision. I just hate seeing guys getting hurt, number one. But I also hate seeing guys that just seem like a good dude. Dak seemed like a good, genuinely good dude, a good, a dude that I want to be, be around as far as in the locker room. When you see that type of guy get hurt, it just hurts you to the soul, especially after not getting that long-term deal that he wants. And, and here's the thing. As a player, as an ex-player, this is why you fight for your money. This is why you fight for that guaranteed money to say, I want my money now. This is the exact reason why you do it, because you never know when that next play is that you may get injured. Unfortunately, um, that got injured. But I, I do have confidence that he'll come back healthy. And I still do have confidence that he'll get paid. He probably won't get paid as much as he, he, he once probably wanted to be. But I still mm. think he'll get paid, um, maybe even in Dallas. Hey, people need it. This isn't just us losing a guy in a contract here. Because I think every everybody goes to the financial part. This guy was leading the NFL in passing. He had 350 more yards than Russell Wilson, and he didn't even finish the game yesterday. Like, this guy was yeah. on an absolute tear. And Jerry Jones comes out with a statement, and he says, you know, the leader. I, I think it's a little annoying that I feel like Dak Prescott has been, like, it's well, but all the time with him. Oh, well, he's leading the NFL in passing, but is he really that good? And then he gets hurt and then everybody showers him with love. Like, why were you not showering him with love before he got hurt? I, I also think that with Jerry Jones coming out and making that comment about how much he meant to the team. Now, Jerry is in an interesting situation with this contract where I kind of thought Dak was going to do what he was doing, which was throw for like 5,000 yards and make Jerry pay up. But now it's the Jerry Jones heartstrings. Now it's the Jerry Jones sympathy. Will he pay that man the money? Um, and the other question is, Dak doesn't need to sign. Like what, what if no. Dak, through all of this, goes, you know what? But then again, if you're Dak and you go, I just got five games – to see what it was like of Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb, and and imagine if that offensive line is healthy. Uh, because, I don't know, do you think Dallas will pay Dak and do you think Dak will take it is the interesting question. Well, the big question, the big question there is how good will Andy Dalton be? And I, mean, I will Andy say, and I, and and I will getting- say this. I thought the injuries, the fact that Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins – both starting tackers, tackles might be out for the season. Their center is out. Their tight end is out. 
I thought Dak was somebody that could overcome it and make this offense move. I do not feel as confident with Andy Dalton. And I know that he had that one throw to Michael Gallup at the end of the game yesterday that looked really good. But Dak is a guy that can overcome those things. I think that this crumbles on Andy Dalton and we realize how important Dak was. Well, just remember what was happening this offseason. They were dangling the thought that we'll just, if you don't want to sign, we'll just, we'll just start Andy Dalton and he'll be fine. We'll, we got weapons. We'll be all right. And, and I don't know that that's true. I don't know that Jerry actually believed that, but he certainly said it. Um, I, I think if Andy goes out there and he passes for four or 500 yards a game, then you can make an argument. Maybe you don't need that. Maybe you don't need to pay him that type of contract, but I, I just don't see that happening. I think they will understand that Dak was part of the glue that helped that team uh, hold itself together. And and they're going to have to change the game plan a little bit. They'll go back to their running thing a little bit more, trying to get uh, Ezekiel Elliott involved in the game plan. But listen, it's still a big injury. I I hate to see it. Um, But this is what this game is about. It's about trying to stay as healthy as you can. And while you're staying healthy, produce and get as much money as you can. How do you think this injury to Dak – could impact free agents or guys heading into their final year. Because I, I think we, we see this all the time in terms of injuries at pivotal moments with contracts. But when it's the number one guy expected to get paid, how does that impact all the other guys that are coming up for contracts? Well, you'll think about it. It'll be a conversation that you have with your agent. And your agent would always say something like, Hey, I know you can want to bet on yourself, but remember what happened to Dak. And he took it down. Let's say the number was $35 million before. He wanted 40 Maybe the number is $32 million now. And to me, that's still worth it. It's still worth betting on yourself if you're Dak. What about, a guy, what about a guy like Allen Robinson, who his contract discussions were already making news, and his team's 4-1. Do you? I feel like you go into that to Ryan Pace's office, and you're like, "Did you see what happened to Dak? Do you understand? Like, did, do you think it helps the player in discussions, or do you think it helps the team knowing that the player is going to be a little bit more desperate to sign a deal?" Well, it, it helps the team. It helps the team because the player has to worry about his body. This body is his business. That's the whole corporation. And the player has to go out there and, and fight and, and try to get yards and catches and things like that. And, and that's what Allen Robinson would be faced with. So it, it certainly puts more pressure on the player because the team could weigh it out. The team could weigh it out and say, okay, the worst case for us is that we'll have to pay more money. Mm. The worst case for him is that he'll get way less and get injured, become off an injury, which unfortunately um, Dak's going to have to deal with. And, and that's reality for every player no in the NFL, injury. That's the thing that, that you're the most scared about because that can stop a lot your production and the production, low production will stop your money. I mean, I'm over here looking at free agents for next year. And I, Marlon Mack was supposed to be a free agent. He tore his ACL. He's out for the year. Hurt. Dak yeah. Prescott, we just talked about. Um, there are so many guys that you just, you know, Juju's a free agent next year. You think Juju's feeling comfortable right now? Looking at Chase Claypool? Well, without an offseason. Yeah. Without, without the offseason, without the preseason, this is probably the worst season to be an upcoming free agent. Because now, again, soft tissue stuff, that, that hurts your numbers, that hurts your ability to go out there and play, and obviously catastrophic injuries like that. It's just hard. It's hard to see. It's, it was hard to watch it yesterday, but it's also hard to see so many young guys get injured 
especially when when these years are so important. To them. Uh, we talked about hard to watch. That has been the Falcons uh, to start the season 0-5. Uh, two firings this past week. Bill O'Brien, Houston, and Dan O'Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov with the Falcons. Uh, Ingber, in terms of Dan Quinn, uh, I know that there was a bunch of buzz yesterday after that loss to the Carolina Panthers. Brian Westbrook's favorite team in the NFL. <laughs> I keep telling you guys about the Panthers. I keep telling you. Man, about I told Davis. you about I the Panthers last week. Matt I was Rowe. like, man, I love the Panthers. I oh, I swear, I'm gonna. I, I love. I've always liked Matt Rue when he was at Temple. I, that was my guy. At you Temple. know, what? okay, let's let, let me talk about that because I saw. Um, I think Daniel Jeremiah tweeted out that he said that Matt Rule is just like a really tough guy and you can tell that his personality is in the team. When I saw Dave Tepper give that monster contract with all those years to Matt Rule, and I know that other people were looking at him, anytime that a coach gets that much money and his name's not Steve Spurrier, I go, okay, there's something to this guy. What is it about Matt Rule that has a team that is so young in the Carolina Panthers playing like this from your experience? Structure, discipline, making sure that they are being held accountable, making sure that you put your players in the best but position. But isn't that to every coach? And these Hold are all, on. You would think. You would think that's every coach. But I played for great coaches, Andy Reid. But I also went out there and played in San Francisco for Mike Singletary, and those things weren't inside of that locker room. He wasn't holding people accountable. He didn't have the right structure, the right character around the building, the right culture. All these things are important, but there are coaches, Billy O'Brien, that don't necessarily have those things. And they think they do, but they can't get that message from themselves to the players. Now, the players have to believe in it. And what you can tell from the Panthers is that all the players have oh, bought dude, in. Oh, they dude, they Everybody have so much energy. In. It's crazy. And I, I – well, and that's why Rule has been successful at every program he's been at. He's, he's able to get the players to what buy in. What is Rule's specialty that, in terms of, like, schematics? Well, I think that he, I mean, he does well offensively. Obviously, he's getting some of the best play out of Teddy Bridgewater. And there was a point where in Teddy Bridgewater's career, he couldn't complete the deep ball. Well, guess what? Now he has Robbie Anderson, who's getting the best play of you his know what, career. Though, he completing the deep ball. I, I watch the Panthers, and I see LSU's offense from last year because of Joe Brady, their Dude. OC. Because to me, yeah. it's not even about the deep ball. It's like they go four wide with Mike Davis in the back, and they have so many athletes. It's like Robbie, DJ Moore, and then Curtis Samuel. And by the way, you have like a bowling ball in Mike Davis that I just, every time I watch the Panthers game, the defense looks really stressed out, like really stressed out. And Teddy is a fucking gamer, bro. Teddy has been efficient. He's been accurate. Mike Davis has been nasty. He brings that edge to that offense. But when you got some ballers on the outside. I mean, DJ Moore is a baller. baller. He's a guy that can go get it. He fast, too. I mean, you saw the speed on the touchdown play there. Samuel, again, speed. Robbie Anderson, speed. They got a bunch of guys. And, and I think one important factor, you get Russell Okun back yesterday, and I think that was huge to protection. If Teddy wants to stand back there and throw the deep ball, Teddy wants to be protected in the pocket, you need that tackle to be there for you. Russell, Getting Russell Okun back yesterday was huge for that uh, Panthers offense. I, I look at the Panthers. They've now won three straight, uh, knocked off the Chargers in L.A., Justin Herbert's first start where he knew he was starting. Arizona, mm -hmm. they win that game 31-21, and they, they really contained Herbert. Atlanta's offense, 
easily Matt Ryan's worst offensive game. They were still putting up numbers the rest of the year. So here we are talking about this offense, and it's this defense that during the game, they lost uh, Gross Matos, uh, the kid out of Penn State. They lost Kawan Short. They lost their number one corner in Dante Jackson. They lost all of those guys, and they were still able to contain the Falcons. You even look at the Tampa Bay Bucks game. They lose They lose uh, 31-17. Remember, the Bucks offense was struggling most of that game. Carolina had a chance. And that first game against the Raiders, if they hand the ball off to Christian McCaffrey or Mike Davis – and not their fullback on a fourth and one as they're driving, they might go down and win that one. Now it's a three and two Panthers team taking on a four and one Chicago Bears team this Sunday. And I know the Bears won on Thursday night and they have more time to repair, but I'm I'm sitting here going, is Carolina about to move to four and two and and really turn this NFC South into a three-way battle? It's exciting. They got a shot at it. I mean, they got a shot. And there, there is something to be said about teams that play well together, that team just to believe in each other, whether they have the most talent or not. And, again, that's the magic of Matt Rule. That's what he's brought to that football team, a physical team that believes in each other, that's efficient. They're not turning the ball over. Kicking the ball is not a, not a bad yeah. thing as long as your defense can play. Uh, Matt Rule has that team playing well. You know, let me ask you this, and, and I, I've been thinking about this guy all season long. I thought he was going to have a great year last year. It was okay. Calvin Ridley for the Falcons continues to be a baller. I mean, without Julio yeah. being out there, and I thought him and Julio could be that one-two punch, but even without Julio out there, he goes out there and just balls, catches balls. He's fast. Every now and then he'll drop a ball, which I think he dropped one yesterday. I was like, yeah, ah, should have had that one. But, I mean, he just does a great job of continuing to be involved in the offense. Matt Ryan finds him um, often. He's one of those receivers where I'm like, okay, I got to keep my eye on him. There's a lot of talk about Julio in Atlanta, but Calvin really gets When it you're good. a number – when you're a uh, – first round pick and you went to Alabama and his quarterback play was awful at Alabama. I remember his, his film was a lot like DJ Moore where you'd see moments of greatness, but you're like, he, his quarterback just can't get him the ball. And Calvin Ridley yeah. seems to be coming into his own. I would love to see Julio Jones still healthy, but he's not. But I, I think, um, in in Falcons, it was that's the plight of hiring Kyle Shanahan as your OC. Is that when you're there, Dan Quinn's culture was amazing. You know, Dan Quinn mm-hmm. is obsessed with bringing in the military and having the Falcons carry logs for like 20 yards and like building toughness. And when they made that run, Dan Quinn was the Pete Carroll DC that could be the head coach. And now we look back and we go, oh shit, you had Kyle Shanahan for two years and nothing else. And that's that's the scary thing is Kyle is such a good coach that he shows to the head coach what you're not. Um, which, but he even he couldn't overcome that offense yesterday. And and I, I guess I bring up Kyle Shanahan to talk about Niners Dolphins. And I just want to know if Brian Westbrook wants to apologize to David Ingber for saying that Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't good because he played damn near perfect and he embarrassed the Niners defense yesterday. Well, first of all, I didn't say he wasn't good. Whoa. I said that he makes a lot of terrible Ingr- throws. I didn't say he wasn't Ingr- good. I'm pretty sure that he, I didn't say he, he was wasn't like good. trash. Can we bring up the clip? Can we? Is there any? Here's way we, the clip. I did not try that man is good. trash. Ingber, <laughs> what did he say? We're going to Ingber. A lot of mistakes. We're going. 
crazy. You know what? I live in the now, and I want to take my friend Brian Westbrook, and I want to give him the opportunity on this lovely Ooh. podcast to take Ooh. back all the slander he said against my man Ryan Fitzmagic last week. Because I just want to read for you a little next gen stat from Ryan Fitzpatrick. Oh. Next gen? That's not even this gen. Ryan Fitzpatrick has completed, again, I'm looking to the future, Lefko, has completed four future. or five deep passes for 167 and a TD in the first half. The 49ers have allowed more deep passing yards in the first half than they have all oh. season, 94, oh. and more than any other game in the last four seasons. Ryan Fitzpatrick picked him apart more than anyone else in the last four seasons. That's playing the Jared Goff offense and the Russell Wilson offense twice a year. No one's even come close. Ryan Fitzpatrick, he digs into that hat. He pulls out a rabbit. That's Fitzmagic mm. for you, and I love to see it. Devontae Parker, is, Preston is Williams. Any consideration, like any consideration? Is there any consideration for you guys of the opponent? The 49ers looked bad last week against the Eagles. Stop ruining this take, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Amazing. Terrible, terrible yesterday nope. Fitzpatrick played well he had some downfield throws yesterday that were absolutely amazing he continues to throw the ball like a crazy man but he was successful yesterday like you can't take anything away from that he's not terrible he just erratic I, at times what, what yesterday really did because we all know that Ryan Fitzpatrick's success is fleeting and as I predicted on last week's show he's going to put them in a position to start off really strong the middle of the year, he's going to start making some bad throws. And then by the end of the year, it'll be two a time. But what I'm, what I'm constantly amazed by is Brian Flores. And it's the second year in a row where I feel like his roster isn't where it needs to be yet. But just like we talked about Matt Rule, the execution of the Miami Dolphins week in and week out is solid. That when they're – this is a team – that went toe-to-toe with the Seattle Seahawks last week. Then they go to San Francisco, and they beat the shit out of them. Like, like with Miles Gaskin, like, it was from the jump. It was 7-0 from the jump. And and I, 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 I know that Jimmy Garoppolo's foot wasn't ready because he – I saw he's, like, throwing off one leg, and that's why he wasn't getting distance on there, and – I think also we just need to, to admit that the Niners are maybe the most injured team in the NFL right now. And and we forget that they lost uh, Nick Bosa and Richard Sherman. Like, they got nobody. Um, but And they were dependent on those. Yeah. And they lost key players, not just on the offense or defense, but that defense was so dependent and on the And they had lost to Forrest Buckner, who's killing year. it in Indy right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. so yeah. many yeah. injuries to that team, but – I'm just constantly blown away at Brian Flores and the preparation of that Miami Dolphins team. And it's a Miami Dolphins team that that first week, again, another team that in week one, everybody wrote off because they lose to New England and they get run all over. But now you look, their losses are to the Patriots. They lost to the Bills by three and they lost to the Seahawks by eight. And and you're sitting there, they're going to beat the Jets next week. And they're going to go into their bye week at three and three. And this Miami Dolphins team, I think if you're a Dolphins fan, you have a, a number of reasons to be excited. Well, you, you saw that a little bit last year towards the end of the Beating season. Beating Indy and they, Indy? They never Hell gave yeah. Up. They, yeah. They kept fighting. They beat they beat the the uh, Patriots at the end of the season. I think it was the last game of the year. I mean, they, they never give up. And that's, again, you, you said it right. That's Matt Rule. That's Ryan Flores. That's the culture from the coach yes. coming through on the football team, um, and it's obvious I, to see. I, this is something that I think about a lot because 
especially the last month. I don't want to get emotional, but I'm just going to say that the last month has been fucking hard for me. I don't know if it's been hard for you guys with quarantine, but this last month has sucked. I feel like when I started quarantine those first month or two, I was like, I got it all figured out. I'm disciplined. I know how I'm going to start my day and how I'm going to attack my day. The last month, I'm all over the fucking place. And when I am talking about Matt Rule and Brian Flores, those are the guys that I think about where I go, I need to live my life like them. It's the Billy O'Briens that I'm trying not to live my life like, where I feel like he comes in every day and he goes, what are we doing today? And I, we always assume that athletes are giving 100% because in Madden, we hold down turbo. And we always assume that coaches are giving everything because how could you become one of 32 men in the world to lead an NFL team and you're not disciplined? But it's the Adam Gases and it's the Billy O'Briens that I look at and I go, you clearly are not disciplined. And I look at the Matt Rules and the Brian Flores and I go, they live their lives every day to attack and to win. And those are the guys I want on my head coach. And I think those are the guys that we want to live our lives like. When we talk about Bill Belichick and, and how he can see into the future, we want to achieve that. And I think it does come down to discipline. And I, I think that in the NFL, it's those most disciplined guys that survive. And I guess I'm just saying all this to say I, I wish I could be like have, that. I wish you could be more disciplined, absolutely. I, I think it comes down to having some fun, too, though. And we saw that with the guy, the, the, like the Texans. The, the, every, everybody on that mm. roster after the game to a man was like, we just had fun. Deshaun Watson was like, Romeo Cornell, Cornell just, just makes it easy. Yeah, it's just like he, we just had a great time. It was fun. You know, he brought he brought laughter back and things like that. And, of course, winning is a big part of that. But everybody for, for everybody to say the same thing, that means that they was hell under Billy O'Brien for a long time. They weren't enjoying it. They weren't having fun. It probably wasn't a bunch of consistency, that discipline that all players actually desire. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it's weird to see it, and it's weird to say it, that in a league where you know you have to be disciplined, especially coming from New England, you know how disciplined Bill Belichick was. Mm -hmm. was. And for Billy O'Brien, that type of team, not to be disciplined. I can understand not having fun because they're not having fun in New England a lot of the times. But being not disciplined, that's the part that's a little Well, let me ask you this. I've heard Brandon Marshall talk about this. You were just talking about injury. When you know that you're up for a contract as a player, I'm, I'm sure it makes you play a little bit different. <clears throat> When you're a head coach and you know that your job is on the line, I'm sure that you coach differently. So when I see the Matt Rules and the Flores and they're in the part of their coaching careers where they're building to last for two decades, they are building for mm -hmm. the long haul. I have to imagine that the culture and the coaching is different than a guy like Billy O'Brien and Dan Quinn are going, if I don't fucking turn this around this week, I'm fucked. They're coaching week to week and not coaching for the long term. And I have to imagine that 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 energy goes to everybody. They all have to feel that. It they must. Well, the the guys on the team they understand. They can read the tea leaves just as well as a coach are reading it. And so when they feel the coach is panicking, he's stressing out. They feel that. They feel that in the way that they practice. They feel that in what the coach steps up in front of the team and says. All those things matter. And all those guys on the team they feel it. They feel it. Okay, he's panicking. We're in trouble this week. And and I'm trying to tell you, over time, guys will start beginning to say, okay, I don't believe in this. 
there was a point where Mike Singletary would come in. We were 0 and 6. He would come in every every Monday and say, We're this close. We're mm. this close. We almost had him. We were this close. And after the first couple of Mondays, you know, the first couple of Mondays, you're saying, you know what, maybe we are this close. If we didn't have this penalty, this turnover, we can get it. The third or fourth Monday, you're like, this guy has no clue what he's talking about. We're not that close. We're a terrible football team. And so, again, you stop believing in some of the things that the coaches is, is saying if they start panicking and they start talking kind of out of their neck just a little bit. I am willing to say that we've had two firings in the NFL this season. Both happened this week. Bill O'Brien, Dan Quinn. I believe we get our third next week. I believe that the 0-5 Jets go to Miami. And because I think the divisional games are when owners begin to realize we're not where we thought we were. For the Falcons, they had to be embarrassed by the other team in the NFC South that wasn't considered a Super Bowl contender to go, shit, we're not there. And I think that that's what's going to happen for the Jets. They're going to go down to Miami. I think that that they're going to look at, at what Brian Flores has on the sideline, where Adam Gase came from, and they're going to go, we took their coach, and now we're in a worse spot and they're not even playing their quarterback of the future, I think that this is the last week for Adam Gase. I think he's the third coach let go this week. Hate making those predictions, but when they feel that accurate, you got to say them. Underachieving team, and they've been that way for a long time. You got a young quarterback. You got a decent running back in Le'Veon Bell. Um, Just underachieving, And, and that's why coaches get fired. Adam Gase, he just can't get the best out of his players. There's a big difference between coaches, Matt Rule, you're talking about Brian Flores, that can make the most out of almost nothing, it seems. It kind of makes it now look like, you know, maybe that team isn't as bad as we thought it was. But then there's guys like Adam Gase where they have decent talent around, but they can't seem to get anything mm. out of that decent talent. And that's what has happened to the And Jets he and sounds like he's grasping for straws. Ingber, I know that you had that Rich Samini tweet that Adam Gase said that I thought, when you start talking about practice, it's over. What did he say? Uh, this was Adam Gase talking at a presser. He said that his record, the team's 0-5 record, doesn't match up with the way the team practices. You wouldn't know our record based on the way they practice. And Rich Samini points out, to quote Bill Parcells, don't tell me about the labor, tell me about the baby. Mm. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Listen, I, I think that's right. I, you know, If you practice hard and you win, it makes sense. Talk about it. If you practice hard and you don't win, then obviously you need to change something with the way that you're practicing. Maybe it's that. Maybe you're practicing the wrong things. You're practicing hard, but the wrong things. And so that kind of goes to, to, to tell you what a lot of people think about it, Adam Gates. It, it blows point. me away when I think about how special these athletes are to be like one of 2,000 people at any time that gets to put on a jersey and to consider themselves a professional football player. And Mm -hmm. to get drafted, you're one of like 256 people. But where you get drafted and who you play for could determine the extent of your life. And and so for me to see on Sunday, and I I watch Chase Claypool and I go, if he went anywhere else, who the hell knows? But he went to like the greatest wide receiver drafting franchise in the NFL – and he gets to play with the end of Big Ben, and like Chase Claypool now has a chance to like become a star. And I think of he might have been a tight end somewhere. That's else. what I'm saying. And then I look at somebody like Sam Darnold, who I think could could be a franchise quarterback in this league, but he goes to a to an organization 
that has gone through two GMs, multiple coaches, multiple offensive passing uh, coordinators. And I go, his entire life could be impacted based off of other men's inability to do their jobs. And it's, it's, you know, and I think about Lamar Jackson, you know, Lamar Jackson had an awful game yesterday. He really did not play well. Cincinnati's defense with DJ Reader is coming along, but it's a franchise that will still win a game 27 to three, even when he doesn't perform well. And the Jets, Sam Darnold putting up like 30 points on Thursday night football a few weeks ago, and he's running for 40 yard touchdowns and they still lose to the fucking Broncos. And it's it the, the luck of the draw sometimes is hey, a lot we'll, to take. We'll think, well, think about what Baker felt last year, though. Totally. I mean, he felt really, really bad last year. They're four and one this year, so I mean that can change in a couple seasons too. So I mean, you get the right. But, coach but then look, there, look, right Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield went in the same draft, and and the yeah. Browns pulled it in Baker's third year. The Jets now, for some reason, gave Adam Gase another year, and now. Guess who's up for a contract coming up? Sam Darnold. And I'm looking at Washington. I'm looking at the Jets, the teams that really have a chance to get that first pick for Trevor Lawrence. It, it's uh, it's just tough because I, I feel for the guys that go to situations where it's not even their fault half the time that it sucks for them. Mm-hmm. And the fan base starts to turn on them because the head coach sucks. Yeah. Um, was there anything else that we wanted to get to Westbrook that you needed to get off your chest? Uh, I know that the Monday night game, what, what do you got for me? Amber? We just haven't talked about this and it, watching the games yesterday, we've been talking about the overs all season long, that there's just so many points being put up 35, 40 points routinely. And one thing that we're not talking about as a reason for that is the fourth and one, fourth and two revolution, where every single team seems mm. to want to get seven points instead of three, seems to want to continue their drive. Instead You're right. Of Even fucking Mike Zimmer's going for it. And so I know you were talking about that one specific fourth and one where Mike Zimmer, he went for it and didn't get it. But I just like the mentality of going for it all the time. Whenever you have an opportunity to put your neck on the defense's throat, you go for it on fourth and short because not just about that one play where you either get it or you don't. We analyze that till kingdom come the whole week. I mean more about just if your team is known as the team that goes for it on fourth and short, think about how that opens up the playbook on second and 10 Mm. and third and five puts so much extra pressure on the defense. If it's third and five, you run it for four yards. Now it's fourth and one. The defense is like putting their hands on their hips, like breathing hard. Now we have to stop them again. God damn it. 10 years ago, they would have just punted. We got the ball back. I think it's actually like a real nice change of pace. It's analytics meets hardcore football sort of mentality. And now they're saying, let's put points on the board through this way of thinking. And I just wanted to to mention that and see if you guys thought the same thing. And when you multiply that by teams' willingness to throw the ball more than in years past, it's even more accentuated. I would say I've heard of putting knees on throats, but putting necks on throats. Did I say necks on throats? Nothing new. I was like, man, you're really getting down there, like putting the neck on the throat there. That sounds (laughs) intense. Um, But I I think to what you're saying, um, it's – we're having like different debates now in the NFL. Now it's like you're down 14, you didn't go for two. It's like these advanced analytics debates that that the fourth and one, you're right. If you're the team, I would flip it. How about the teams that are not going for it on fourth and one? They are now the outliers. Yeah. Yes. And it's it's been a lot more fun. People around. are saying they're playing not to win mm. when, when you don't go for it on fourth. Where before they were crazy. Win, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's been it's been the hard part about that. I think we see it a little bit in Philadelphia is 
there's opportunities for you to go forward on fourth and one. There's opportunities for you to go forward, um, go for two. And then there's another part of the game where you decide, you know what, it's not worth it at that time. And then everybody's like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be gutsy. You're supposed to have, you know, big kahunas and, and, and you're not doing it. And unfortunately, it's, it's, I think it's a tough way to do it. I think it's a tough way to think about the game. I hate that call by Mike Zimmer. But I also, there's a couple other plays like in the Eagles game where I'm like, should we kick here? Should we, should we you know, go for it here? I, I think there's a couple situations where you can't only depend on the analytics side of things uh, to, to make your decision. You got to understand the flow of the game and what your team's able mm. to do. Um, Monday night, we're recording this Monday afternoon. We have Chargers Saints uh, and then Tuesday Bills Titans, which is one of the more surprising undefeated games uh, that's still on the docket there. Um, just overall, I'm, I'm curious, Westbrook, what has it been for you to like wake up and see a bunch of Rappaport and Schefter tweets and like we're learning the NFL schedule as it's Saturday or Sunday? And, and how do you think players are, are dealing with that? Do you think players are angry at the Titans right now for like because they're kind of the reason I feel like the whole schedule is fucked up now? Well, if, if I was a player, I would be pissed off at the Titans. And there's a couple of different reasons why. The number one reason is I've been sacrificing. I've been not going out. I've been not hanging out with my family, my friends, so that I can make sure that I'm healthy enough. I'm not contracting the virus. And obviously, there's a whole different – there's a whole different – a lot of different things in there. I mean, you can get it from your kids yeah. and they went to school, to your, your family because they went to the store. So there's a lot of different variables there. But – for the most part, if you're telling me it's because you guys haven't had the right discipline and didn't follow the protocols inside the building, then I got a problem with that because I've gone out of my way to make sure that I've done that. I don't want to go into a bubble if I don't have to. I don't want to be LeBron James mm -hmm. and the dog going the heat uh, after being in the bubble for three months. That sounds crazy to me. I want to make sure that we can go out there and go in and out of facility, go home and be with my family, my kids. And part of that is the Titans' job to do. That's, my, that's part of my job as a professional player right now, to make sure that I'm following the right protocols so that everyone in this building can remain safe. That's part of my job. And unfortunately, that also extends to my family. My family has to do the right thing too. And that's the hard part because right now my kids aren't going to school. But if I was playing in a city where kids were going to school, maybe in Florida, wherever they're going to school at, then they'll be at school and they could potentially contract the virus there and then bring it back to me and obviously spread it to the team. That's where I would probably have a problem. But if I was a player, I'm, I'm pissed off at the Titans. I'm, I'm mad at that because now I'm confused. I'm used to routine. Sunday to Sunday, I made my plan. Week 10, we're off. Week 9, we're playing. Week 4, we have a Monday night game. And now it's all confused because Saturday morning, we're getting these news alerts from Rappaport and Schefter and everybody else saying, okay, this game got moved to Tuesday. This game got moved to next week. It's just hard to follow mm -hmm. that. It messes up my whole plan um, and the way that I want to do things. I was just going to – I'm looking at the conference schedules, the standings right now, and it's – I mean, there's six teams in the AFC that are either undefeated or have one loss right now. Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Tennessee, Kansas City, Baltimore, Cleveland. And, you know, we're not even factoring in that the Raiders look really good. I'm not even including the New England mm -hmm. Patriots. I know I talked last week about how good the AFC is. It's just I, I'm hoping we get the playoffs. I don't, I don't know what it is. I feel like, and call me crazy, but I felt like seeing that schedule change yesterday where I feel like the Chargers, they switched like six of their games throughout the year. Yeah, that yeah. felt like a really big shift from the NFL. 
And I know that I, I saw Florio reporting last night that they still are open to maybe having a week 18. Um, I just feel like we're five weeks in and that was the big shift. And I don't know how many more big shifts they have available to them because with so many teams, eventually you're going to run out of moves. And yeah. I'm now I'm now coming to the point where I'm going the way that Wilson and Rodgers and Mahomes and like this Josh Allen season, it could be a real especially if they don't call penalties like they've been. It could be a really fun finish. I'm just every week I'm getting more and more nervous that we're not going to see the end. I feel like we won't see a cancellation. We may see a delay, but maybe a two-week period where nobody plays. I kind of feel when you look at it, the NFL is trying to figure a way out, not to stop playing, but to figure a way to make sure that we do play. And with that, I mean, you can move a lot of different things around. You can say, okay, we got three teams that are sick. We're going to take two weeks off. That's 14 days right there, and then we'll get right back to the mm. season. We'll give you one-week acclimation period, and then we're right back to the games. They have that ability. The only problem that you'll see there is the Super Bowl. Moving oh. that and moving those dates around, that, that has to be a logistical nightmare. I, I have one last question before we go, because you, you text about Mike Davis all the time. My first question is, what do they do when McCaffrey comes back? And my second question is more of a plea. Can you just talk about passionately why you love Mike Davis? Well, I'll start with... Number one, this is the reason why I love a guy that has been bounced around to different teams that says, you know what, I'll be a backup. And then when I get my opportunity, I'm just going to go out there and bust everybody up. And when I watch Mike Davis, you think he's, he, he seems like a bigger guy, good soft hands, can catch out of the backfield. Of course, he's not be running routes like McCaffrey, but soft hands, he can catch the screen. He called a nice pass yesterday. And then what he does and I wish I had this ability. I never was big enough to do this. He makes defenders make business decisions. At, at some point in the game, you got to say, okay, do I want to tackle that ball of knives or do I just want to get out of the way and try to jump on his back? And the way he ends runs is the way that I wish I was a bigger back. Like if I had a, the, the, my ideal running back, I would want to end runs the way that he does where he's running through two or three people mm to get to the end zone, two or three people to finish the run. I mean, those types of strong runs, that sends a message. Those are Matt Rule type of runs. That sends a message to the opposing team that you're going to have a long day. Um, you're, you're, this is the first quarter, but by the time the fourth quarter, we're going to see what type of player you really are. And Mike Davis feels like he gets stronger as the game goes on. I'd like on. to put this up right now. Westbrook, Ingber, should we become – the Mike Davis podcast. In. Should we become a podcast that is the biggest supporters of Mike I Davis? I co-signed the living daylights out of that. Westbrook? Yeah. Well, I, 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 you know you know how I feel about Mike Davis. And, and this is yeah, Mike Davis, I just want to say really quick, because now this is a video directed to you. I just need you to know that Brian Westbrook, the greatest running back in the history of the Philadelphia Eagles, has a big-time man crush on you. Like, you can have a yeah, four-yard run, and my phone blows up, and he goes, Mike <laughs> yeah. Davis. That's where we are with you, pal. Uh, that's right. I love what you're doing. Keep up the good work. And, and if I'm him, and obviously we know McCaffrey's out for the season – I would be thinking about splitting carries and, and finding more roles because you kind of see it working for the guys in uh, in, in New Orleans. Minnesota. With Murray as well as Kamara. Yeah, I mean, you have the ability to have two running backs in there and be a more dynamic offense. The thunder and lightning type of thing. I, I love that type of thing. You can't just throw them back on the bench. 
after what no. he's done this season for that football team. I would even say now, because they're not even really using the tight end position that much, if they, you have a three-wide receiver split that's Robbie, DJ Moore, and Curtis Samuel, and then you put McCaffrey and Mike Davis in the backfield, <laughs> with Teddy with Teddy yeah. two gloves just diamond all over the place, yeah. we're about to become that's a Carolina pony. Panthers podcast. And I would just say that if you look at the last few years, there's no more dangerous time to become a Carolina Panthers fan than week five or six because there's usually a collapse right. coming, but we have faith in you, Matt Rule. We really do. Oof. That's the pony personnel. Two running backs in the game at the yes. same time. What does a defense do? Do we play and the they both run, can catch. Or do we play the pass? You can't. It's, it's hard for a defense to figure We're that out. We're turning into a Carolina Panthers podcast, which is not a big demo to focus on. We should really just no. stick with the Raiders. Um, anything else? What? Here's a Cap- question. This, this goes back to our Eagles. Where is Zach Ertz? That was my question in my other group chat is, is Zach Ertz good still? Is Zach Ertz good anymore? I don't know. He looks slow. I'll, I'll tell you this. We'll, we talked about how, you know, with the contract with – um, yep. Dak, this is how the money side, the mental side of the game can screw you over. I, I, and, and I just feel it. You don't feel the love from the team. You don't feel like they want you there. They, they're not showing the respect that you feel so you as though you deserve. And now they, it, it, it comes through your play. And I think the world of Zachers, I love Zach. I love his great family. Guy. I love his wife. They're just great people. But I can see it in his play. It doesn't feel like he wants to be out there. There's no energy. There's no excitement. And it has to stem from the from the uh, the contract yeah. situation. His skills didn't erode that much in and a year. I, and no I way. would just say that if if I was Zach Ertz, and you see all these people putting up these clips about the lack of experience for Eagles wide receivers, and he's sitting there going, "That's not just this year." You even go back to the Super mm-hmm. Bowl run. If you look at Eagles pass catchers. Alshon Jeffrey has been seemingly leading a mutiny for the last few years. Deshaun Jackson can't stay healthy. <laughs> the offensive line's a mess. And you're Zach Ertz, and you go, I don't know if you remember or not, but in the Super Bowl, I caught that pivotal third and six, and then I went down and I caught the game-winning touchdown, and now I'm the one, Mr. Consistency, over a hundred yard, over a hundred receptions, and you haven't had a real wide receiver the last three years, and I'm the one that you're not going to pay. Like, I understand why Zach Ertz is sitting here going WTF, but I'm also sitting there on the Eagles and I'm going, he doesn't look as good right now. But I just want to know that I completely understand why Zach Ertz wants to get paid because, like, he's been the only consistent player on that team for the last three years, including the quarterback. They played a lot of players. They paid a lot of players, too. That's the weird thing. If I'm Zach Ertz, I'm saying, well, hold on. You're going to stop paying people with me? That one guy and everything that you just mentioned, the one guy you're going to stop with is me? <laughs> right. No, nah, that ain't going to work. I, I've had this conversation with a lot of athletes before, and I'm not going to out them, that felt like they were a franchise guy, and then they watched everyone else get paid, and they were like, but I'm the reason that they're even allowed to show their success, and that must be a huge that- mind fuck. Hmm. Dak Prescott, everybody, you're going to pay the receivers, the running backs, the offensive line, defensive players, and not the quarterback, the most important position mm. on the field. <laughs> just doesn't make Man. sense. Uh, getting ready to enter into week six, which is, in my opinion, the most mind-numbing of all of the media cycles. And this is why. 
So I just want to prepare everybody as we wrap up this episode. Weeks one through four, what do we talk about? Who's the 2-0 team that's not real? Who's the 0-2 team that's underrated? Quarter of the season MVP polls. Who's a real Super Bowl contenders? I argue that week 6 through 12 is the worst section of NFL media that exists because no one knows what to talk about anymore. We now are figuring out who are the real teams. There's no more surprises. There's now no NBA to distract us. So if you guys have ideas of different things to talk about in the NFL, 33%, I am asking for your help at the end of this podcast, which most of you probably won't get to. Because I'm just saying that as you watch the ESPNs and the Foxes, just look at the topics. They're the same every fucking week. So if you have any ideas, we're open to it because I'm not excited. I'm just letting everybody know. I, I got a great okay. idea. And I don't know that it's a great idea. Is it, it is becoming the, the official Carolina Panthers Mike Davis podcast? Because that was a pretty good one. Well, that's 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 part of it. But no, I, I think we can imagine almost like a fantasy, different players with different like quarterbacks, wide receivers, quarterbacks. I mean, obviously D Hop and the Texans were the first one yeah. I thought of in my mind. Like, oh, what if what if Deshaun Watson had a guy like DeAndre Hopkins? That would be really cool, wouldn't it? But I mean, just think about some of the plays that we've had from Oh, here's a, here's a perfect one. Well, what do you think how good Tom Brady would have been? I think I might have mentioned this last week with a guy like Mike Evans. And, and then I think David mentioned, well, he had Randy Moss. Well, that was a great damn time in New England. It was a great time to be there. But, I mean, just think of the guys that struggle at the wide receiver position if if they had different types of quarterbacks there. Certainly you can do that with running backs too. What if they had a different offensive line? Mm-hmm. What if what – if, what if uh, Russell Wilson had a running back like Alvin Kamara? What type of offense would they run then? Mm. Not the smash about offense. How, how, how would they get him involved? I think mm. that's an interesting way to look at things. How are we talking about Carson Wentz if he was on the Niners? Ooh. Also, Falcons are 0-5. Jimmy Garoppolo's hurt. Should the Niners trade for Matt Ryan? These are half-baked ideas that we should have thought about earlier. For Brian Westbrook. (laughs) The Rocket For David Ingber. This is a tweet from Ellery Smith that reminds me of the sort of tough time you've been going through for the last month because we've all had our own issues and I have as well. This is a great tweet from October 4th. Have you ever been chilling, minding your own business, and realize your jaw has been tightly clenched for the last 15 years? Great tweet. Yes. Dude, that's amazing. The amount of times I'll be sitting there, I'm like, why is my jaw tired? And it's because I'm fucking biting down. Uh, I, I, I just think I'm going to end podcasts like this. If you're out there and you're not feeling great, talk to somebody. If you're out there and you're feeling great, look at what you're doing and do more of it. Drink more water, get some fucking sleep, and talk to people that you care about and get rid of all the mother motherfuckers that are draining your energy. Love you guys. That was a word. I kind of need that clipped out. I want to put it on social because it's the truth. For David Ingber, for Brian Westbrook, I'm the L-E-F-K-L-E. Man, love y'all 33%. We'll holler at you later.